Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real life Christian church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. I put a title to this message and I call it, How Good is Good? I mean, define to me a good person. Define it to yourself. What is a good person? And that question should not the mind of everybody who believes. Your works will get you into heaven. That question should gnaw at you. How good is good? You need to ask yourself, is there something somewhere that tells me? Is there a manual? Is there a rule book that tells me when I've been good enough? How good is good? And the big danger in this lie is this. And man, does Satan know this. If you believe this particular lie, man, it keeps you out of heaven. Hey, folks, you got to know your enemy. Satan is, Satan is everything that's evil, malignant, malevolent, malevolent, malicious, all rolled up into one ball. And Satan knows his end. And what is Satan's end? That's in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. Maybe, maybe you need to look at this. Revelation 20, verse 10 says, And the devil who deceived them, see, he's a deceiver. I've got the NIV Bible. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, that's hell, where the beast, that's the Antichrist that's coming, and the false prophet, the religious system that supported him, Again, the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake burning with sulfur where the beast and the false prophets already had been thrown. Now listen to this, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever. And I like that hallelujah. That's his end, absolutely. I mean, that word of God just said three things about hell. Well, first of all, it said there is a hell, lake burning with sulfur. And then it said the devil will be there. Secondly, it said there's torment there. And thirdly, it said it's forever. And um, the devil knows he's going there. And because he is so malevolent, he is so evil, he wants you and me to be there with him. So don't picture Satan like some people do as the king of hell. You know, there he is sitting on a throne in hell. He's got some reverberating laugh at the suffering of all these people. You know, it just rings through the caverns of hell. That's not the devil. The devil's going to be tormented along with all his devil angels who promote his lies. And the devil says, if I'm going there, if I'm going to be tormented forever and ever, day and night, time never ends, I'm taking as many of you guys with me as I can. All you got to do to be with me forever and ever in this eternal torment is believe the lie. My good works can get me into heaven. Just believe that lie and you will spend your eternity with me in this eternal hell tormented forever and ever. See, that's how our culture thinks. There's a payoff when you put in time and effort. When you put in time and effort, there is a reward. And that's how, that, that, that's how people think. I mean, listen, you guys know this. Your wife's upset. What do you do? Well, you find out what's upsetting her. We never talk, she says. You never spend time with me. So what do you do? You take time to talk. You cut some stuff out of your, your routine and you spend time with her. I mean, you work at your job less and you work at your marriage more. You work, you work, you work, you work, you work, you work, you work. And guess what? It gets better. Of course it does. It gets better. I mean, the harder you work, the better it's going to get. See, and the devil knows that. You know that, but the devil knows that. Let's say you're out of a job. What do you do? Well, you work again. You put together a tremendous resume, and you research companies. You send out emails, and you research more companies. You send more emails, and you call people. What's out there? What's available? 
Then you send more emails. You get in your car. You go to companies. You fill out a job application. You make some connections. Then after, after a while, guess what? You got a couple job interviews. And pretty soon you got two or three job interviews. You got two or three job offers on the table. Why? Because you worked at it. And you work real hard. And work pays off. And again, the devil knows that. He knows that. And here's the big deal. Here's the deal. To draw people into hell, he leads them to believe that's how salvation works. Everything in our culture says the harder you work, the bigger the payoff. And the devil knows that, and he leads people to believe that's exactly how salvation works. It's subtle, it's insidious, it's a lie, it's a denial of absolute truth, but I'll tell you, it works. The chief passage that militates against this on salvation by grace alone is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And if somebody would pin me down and say, what's the most important passage in the Bible? It may very well be this one or another one we're going to look at today in 2 Corinthians 5. But Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Man, this is important. It reads like this, for it is by grace... You have been saved through faith. Listen to this. This not from yourself. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, 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 not of works. So nobody has anything to boast of. It is the gift of God, not of works, not of works, not of works. So you and me don't have one thing to boast of. See, it's, it's a gift. You can't work for it. Now, I've got to tell you this. The fact that salvation is a gift and you can't work for it makes no sense to the unsaved world. It doesn't make any sense at all to the unsaved world that you go to somebody who's not saved and say, your works cannot get you into heaven. Now, here's what does make sense. You know, you got this, you know, a little bit of a friend guy named Bill at work, and Bill goes to Casino Windsor all the time. He also hits the bars. Bill doesn't spend a whole lot of time at home. As a matter of fact, his wife's parents have to buy the kids all their clothes. As a matter of fact, right now, Bill's parents, Bill's own parents, took his own wife and his own kids to Disney World, and they, they left him home because he's, he's over in Casino Windsor gambling his entertainment dollar, you know, and hanging out in bars and all that stuff. And there really is no family there, and what do you say? I mean, you look at Bill and you say... I don't do that. (laughs) I don't do that. And because I don't do that, and because I buy my kids their clothes, and because I don't hit Casino Windsor and the other, and the other, what you call it, some, because I don't go to those places, guess what? I'm going to heaven. Or my friend Beth. She's always talking to other people, somebody else says. My friend Beth is always talking to other people. I mean, it gets old. I don't do that. I don't talk about other people. I can't get into a conversation with Beth without her talking about somebody. But I don't do that. Well, what's the conclusion? The conclusion is I'm going to heaven because I'm better than Beth. See, subtle. Do you see how subtle this is? Folks, you do that. You live like that. You live like that. Demons have people believing that. Here's another big deal to say, you know, to to say that we're saved purely by grace. I mean, you tell someone else you are saved purely by grace, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know, um, that's a direct assault on people's pride. 
They don't like that. And that leads us back to the book of Daniel. Last week we saw this young guy, Daniel, and he stood for principle. And remember what King Nebuchadnezzar was trying to do? He was trying to build leaders in the kingdom of Babylon. And so he'd give them this great diet of rich food. And to eat that diet of rich food was contrary to what Daniel knew in the word of God, the law of God for the Jews in Leviticus chapter 11. And so the king Nebuchadnezzar knew that Daniel stood on principle, what he believed. And the king really respected Daniel. He really did. And one night this king Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that troubled him. And he called in all his advisors, all his wise men, and they couldn't figure out the dream. And so he called in Daniel. And the king said, Daniel's well connected with his God. Daniel's going to be able to tell me what this dream means. And so in Daniel 4, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he, he just he explains the dream to Daniel. There's Daniel standing there. Here's the king sitting on his throne. He says, Daniel, this is what I dreamed. There's this great big tree going into the sky, way into the sky. And all the, all the birds of the world would nest in that tree. And all the animals of the world could gather under that tree and find shelter. And then some holy man out of heaven says, cut the tree down. The king's relating this dream to Daniel. Daniel's there listening. Some holy man says, cut the tree down. And somebody cut the tree down, and all that was left was a stump. And Daniel, I saw this in my dream in the evening, and it terrified me. What's it mean? And Daniel said, you ready for this, O king? Are you ready for this? Now, you've got to understand something. History will back this up. This king, Nebuchadnezzar, was possibly along with the Antichrist to come and maybe Nimrod in Genesis, the most powerful man who ever lived. And Daniel said this to this powerful, powerful, despotic man. He said, King, that tree is you. God's going to bring you down. And he's going to make a stump out of you. And he said in Daniel chapter 4, verse 27, he said, Therefore, O king, now this took courage, man. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what's right. What did he just say? He said, you're a sinner. Renounce your sins. Repent. Turn from your sins. Turn from your wickedness and all your self-gain, he said, by, by, by being kind to the oppressed. Little Daniel, about 30 years old at this time, to this big deal king. Repent. Repent. I like that. Goes on for about a year. Nothing happens for about a year. And um, in Daniel, what is this, 428, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar, referring to the dream. And 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon, he said, now listen to this. Is this not great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence? Listen, by my mighty power for the glory and majesty of my name or for the glory and majesty of me. Hey, look what I have built. Look what I did. Am I not great? See? Well, listen, right away. The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what's, decide this is what's decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people. And you're going to live. Listen to this. You're going to live with the wild animals in a pasture. And you're going to eat grass like the cattle. And seven years are going to pass until you acknowledge that the Most High, until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the earth. And um, he gives men and, and he gives kingdoms to, to men as he wishes. 
And that, that, that happened exactly. For seven years, King Nebuchadnezzar became insane. And he, he, he walked in pasture lands and, and, ate, and ate grass with cattle and wildebeest and zebras and camels and whatever else eats grass. And after seven years, God gave him his sanity back, just like he predicted. And after seven years, God restored him to his throne. And listen to what Nebuchadnezzar said in verse... Oh, whatever it is, I can't see it without my glasses. Anyway, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven. Listen, listen to this. Listen to the change. Before this all happened, what he said, hey, look at the kingdom I built. Now, now look at this. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven, the true God, because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm the prime example of that. Well, here's the point of all this. This guy's pride had to be broken before he could receive the true God. Pride has to be broken before you can believe in the Lord. When you tell somebody they need Jesus Christ, their righteous life won't save them. Guess what? That's an assault on their pride. That's a direct frontal attack on their pride. And proud people have such a hard time with that. Your works can't save you. But like Daniel told the king, somebody has to say to these people, therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice, renounce your sins by doing what's right, renounce your wickedness and turn to the true God. Somebody's got to have that kind of courage. Somebody's got to confront lost people with that. That it's just proud, just pure pride that says my works can save me. And you've got to deal with that whole pride issue. Here's the first thought. I mean, you have people in your life who believe that lie. You can be good enough to earn salvation. There are people in your life, there's lots of people in your life who believe that. Some of you here today might believe that lie. I'm good enough to earn my salvation. So I gotta ask you, I gotta ask you the title of this message. How good is good? How good do you have to be? If you believe that lie, then this question should gnaw at your insides. How good do I have to be? There has to be a line. I know I've said this before. There has to be a line that I cross where I've been good enough. Where's that line? I mean, you know, I, I, the, 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 the God's got to God's be up in heaven. As you approach that line saying, well, you're cold now. Oh, but you're getting warmer. You're getting warmer. You're getting warmer. You're getting warmer. Then you help an old lady across the street. Bingo, payoff. And all heaven rejoices. You cross the line. You're in heaven. Is that how it works? I mean, does, if you're not a believer, doesn't that bother you? I mean, doesn't that gnaw at your insides? How, just, just how good do I have to be? Jesus answers that question. Here's how good you have to be. Dwell on this. It's Matthew 5.48. This is God's word. I didn't write this. Matthew 5.48. Jesus said this. Be therefore perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the high standard. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Who's perfect? I mean, you know, not one sin. Now, I'm serious about this because people have said to me, people have said to me, hey, you're a pastor. You make that good grade. I mean, you, 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 you meet God's high standard. You're a pastor. Come on. Be perfect. Come on. And, you know, there's times, that there's times I think I'm really doing something good. I mean, there are times when I have a full schedule and I got so much on my plate, I can't fit another thing in and I hope the phone doesn't ring. And the phone rings and there's somebody needs immediate attention. Some situation needs immediate attention. And more often than not, I'll go. But then I'm driving back from a situation like that and I'm saying, oh, God, are you blessed to have me around? <laughs> You're blessed to have this kid on earth, you know? 
And the very good things I think I do and I enter into them with the right intent, you know, I turn them right into sin. All I'm saying is I fall so short of perfection, but here's my comfort, man. So did this great apostle Paul, man. Paul, I got to tell you what Paul said about himself. I am so thrilled this is in the Bible. This is Romans 7, 24. Paul said this, the great apostle Paul who established all these churches, wrote all these books in the Bible. Paul said, what a wretched man I am. And then he said, who will rescue me from this body of death? And I tell you folks, man, I am right there and I pray you are. There's only one solution to this wretched man thing. Let me read this again. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Paul said that. And then he said, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the only rescue through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no other way. And so the first point is, now how good do you have to be? The answer is be perfect. The second point is, the only answer to, to our lack of perfection is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And that name is a threat to a lot of people. They don't want to hear that word. They don't want to hear that name. I mean, talk about God all you want. God is some nebulous idea. Talk about God all you want, but don't mention the name Jesus Christ, because that will turn people off. And I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say there's an awful lot of people who virtually hate that name, Jesus Christ. They hate that name. But like Paul just wrote, man, he is the only hope for this wretched lost person. That beautiful name scorned by so many is all I have, folks, because there really is, Acts 4.12, no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must, we must be saved. There is no other name. Then he saved me. How did he save me? Well, we focus on the cross. Yeah, he saved me by dying with my sins, but he saved me by being perfect in my place. He was perfect for me. He did what I couldn't. He lived that perfect life for me as my substitute. I mean, I think about that lady that was, she, she was in the act of adultery. And the Pharisees drag her from her adultery bed. She probably threw a bathrobe on. And, and, and they throw her right in front of Jesus. And I have to believe in my mind she was an attractive lady because they wanted to bring Jesus down. And he never, ever, ever got a lustful thought, never. And these same Pharisees egged him on. You know, they egged him on. They said, well, he does all these miracles and he does all the stuff he does by the power of Satan. They called him Beelzebub. He's driven by the power of Beelzebub. And they called him a Samaritan. You know what a Samaritan was then? That was an illegitimate child born outside of marriage, and they name-called him. And they said he does his miracles by the power of Satan. And you know what, gee, he never lost it. He never lost his temper. He never bad-mouthed these guys. Well, he did in Matthew 23, but it was a good bad-mouthing. He wanted these guys in heaven. We're talking about his perfect life for us in our place. I just think of Judas. I mean, without Judas, there would be no cross for Jesus, no pain. And he comes up, Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he gives him that infamous kiss. You remember what Jesus said? Friend, <laughs> whispers in his ear, friend, friend, still reaching out to him, right? I mean, go do what you have to do, friend. I mean, that blows me away. And then he died for never sinning, but bearing my sin and yours too. That doesn't get any better than 2 Corinthians 5.21. And this rivals Ephesians 2.8 and 9 for the most important passage in the Bible. Ephesians, 2 Corinthians 5.21, this is so precious. God made him who had no sin to be sin. I mean, you just think about that. God made him who had no sin to be sin. What's that mean? Your sin, my sin, everybody's sin was in his body. His body was infested with our sin. This holy, righteous, perfect man was infested. I mean, our sins were coursing in his blood vessels. God made him to be sin 
for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. All God's saying is this, he took your sin and you get his righteousness. Now get this, be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Through Jesus Christ, we can attain to that. That shouldn't be a great big truth, but the Father sees you because Jesus took your sins in himself and died with those wretched things. Guess what? He gave you the very perfection of Christ, and God the Father in heaven sees us as perfect if you accept him by faith, and he sees us as perfect and thus acceptable to him for heaven, not through our own merits, but through the merits of Jesus Christ. And folks, what I just told you, I don't care if somebody tells you you won the lotto and you got $100 million, no one's ever going to tell you a greater truth than what I just told you right now. There's nothing in your life more important than that, and I pray with all that is in me that this never gets old. I did, you know, this is the greatest truth ever. This is truth. This truth that I just, that I just kind of tried to expound to you is what hordes of fallen angels sent out by the evil one himself devote themselves to destroying. Do you know how many angels, how many, a countless number of angels are militating against this one truth? That you are saved, not by your own goodness, but by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the third point. You have, to, you have to accept this truth by faith. You have to believe it. You have to have faith. And to have faith means you eat your pride. It means you do a Nebuchadnezzar. You understand in your heart of hearts that the Father in deepest love gave your, gave your sins to his son, Jesus Christ, and sent him to the cross that you should have gone to. You've got to believe that, that the Father took your sins, gave them to his Son, and he died on that cross, the same cross that you and I should have died on. See, you believe that, you accept that, you accept that Jesus, an indescribable love, and I mean indescribable, accepted the whole rotten package of your and my sins, and died the death we should have died. When you believe that in here, see, this is faith. This is the third principle. You've got to believe these truths. When you believe it in here, that drives your life. That truth drives your whole life. That single truth, I've got to tell you, that single truth drives my entire life. That single truth that I'm saved not by my works, but by the grace of God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, is the engine in me that drives my whole life. Because every choice I make every day comes down to this one truth. Jesus Christ did this for me. Now I want to do this or not do this as the only fitting response to his love. It's a desire in my heart to do this. That's the driving force of my life. And people, that's the truth we have to believe. And when you believe it, you embrace it. That means you understand it. It means you... You know it and understand it, and you'll be able to communicate it to other people because lots of people are going to ask you, well, if you're not saved by works, then can I go out and live my life as I please? What, what, what part do works play in my life? Then you've got to be able to explain that. I mean, what is the place of good works in your life? Can we go out and live as we want to because we're saved by grace? Of course you can't. But you've got to be able to tell that to your mom and your dad who are not saved, to your son or daughter who isn't saved, to your good friends who aren't saved. You've got to be able to explain that because they're wondering if you say I'm saved by grace without works, where do my works fit in? Then you've got to know this. Good works do not come before salvation to earn it. This is one of the biggest things anybody's ever going to tell you to. You've got to be able to know this and explain this. Good works do not come before salvation to earn God's favor. Uh-uh. They come after salvation, after you believe in Christ. 
as the logical response of a thankful believer to God who gave his sins to Jesus Christ. Good works don't come before salvation to earn it. They come after salvation as the logical response of a thankful believer. And we need to know that. And we need to understand that salvation is by Christ, and here's a big word, alone, by Christ alone. I don't know what your religious background is, no, but, but, but it's not Christ plus anything, folks. You know, people like to say, okay, I believe in Jesus, but my works have to help. No, come on, it's not Christ plus works. It's not Christ plus church doctrine. It's not Christ plus, plus church tradition. It's not Christ plus sacraments. It is Christ and Christ alone. And that is the truth that devils fear. That truth marshals all the forces of hell and evil against it. Because the devil doesn't want you to believe it. See, the more I understand how lost I was before Christ, before Christ entered my heart, and the more I understand where I was headed to hell and what Christ saved me from, the more I can live thankfully. But I've got to know that, man. I've got to know that. And when I live thankfully, see, then I can seriously forget myself and start living for the people around me. And um, I, can start, I can start giving to people from my heart for the glory of God. See, but I have to understand what he saved me from and what I owed and the debt that he paid for me. And we, listen, when I understand that, man, I can be bold and I can tell others about my Lord with joy and confidence. My life of thanksgiving will be directly proportionate to my understanding of my sin debt. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.